Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. Glad you're here. For those of you who maybe haven't been here much this month, we're using Kelly Robbins' book, Trust Your Next Step. And you'll remember the first week we talked about having a vision for where we want to go, a really clear idea of some progress we want in life, whether it was a progress around going back to school or a new romance or whatever it might be, wherever you see yourself maybe ideally in five years, to have that really fulsome idea of where you want to go, who you want to be, that sense of accomplishment. And then last week we talked about beginning to take steps in that direction, beginning to align ourselves with that vision of the future and how we might make decisions and how we might take steps in that direction. Uh, For those of you who haven't been here, we have actually a cheat sheet on your way out on the the welcome table there. Uh, Feel free to take one of these with you. It describes the trail map for this whole four-step program. Well, today I want to move on a little bit and talk about what happens when you might start taking those first few steps. Now, of course, uh, it's always a, a, a buoyancy, right? When you take a step and you get immediate feedback that you're on the right track, it feels so good, right? It's, it's everything you need in terms of a confirmation. Yes, I made a step in the right direction. My goal's a little closer. And sometimes it doesn't quite happen that way. And so today we want to talk about the idea of failure as well as the idea of success. In chapter 5 of the book, she does an interesting thing. For those of you following along in the book, in chapter 5 she presents 12 spiritual principles, just as though it were the foundations class. I swear in about 10 pages you get the entire science of mind philosophy, uh, like one big jolt to the system. And uh, and of course I'm not going to go through all of those 12 spiritual principles today, uh, but it was interesting in that in our science of mind foundations class we cover about 10 or 11 of them, guess what number 12 is that isn't in our typical curriculum? She calls it the law of success. And so I do want to spend a few minutes talking about this spiritual law of success. First of all, it's very simple. It's simply to recognize that the universe is always for you and never against you. And although she doesn't talk about it specifically in these terms, um, I would like to almost do a, a kind of mathematical proof with you that this is true. Because it might not obviously be true. We look around the world and sometimes we th- see terrible things happen, at least to our view, they look like terrible things. And so we might say, well, how is the universe for that person? How, how is that playing out? So... Let me, if you will, in my own feeble way as a mathematician, show you why this might be true. If we have a general agreement in the science of mind that God is everything, that God created the heavens and the earth, and in fact, if God is everything, God had to create it out of itself. So, so by definition, in a way, in the science of mind, we're part of God's creation. We're part of God's stuff. And also by definition in the science of mind, because God is everywhere, God is actually experiencing the human realm through us. It's not us versus God. It's not God up on a cloud somewhere and us down here on earth. It's God permeating 
all of existence, all that is seen, all that is unseen. And so literally when we're going about our business on the planet, it's a part of God doing God's business on the planet. And so here's the mathematical proof for you then. Why wouldn't God want God to be successful? Do you see how this is? It's like if A equals B and B equals C, then A has to equal C. If we believe that God is all there is, and if we believe that we are part of God, then God's experience is part of our experience. And if there is to be such a thing as success, why God wouldn't want it, of course. And so God is always in alignment with us achieving our goals with a couple caveats. And here I think she's very specific about what we need to do to really use this law of success. First of all, she says to be successful, you must trust that the universe is working for you. If you, if you believe it's not, you're apt to get, uh, as they say, different results than the rest of us. And so, so we have to go with that idea of trusting spirit, that spirit is part of who we are, part, it's our spiritual nature. And so, of course, it wants to see us and itself be successful. So to be successful, trust the universe is working for you. And then she says another piece of it, if you want more immediate and strategic results, stay in alignment with God's agenda. Now you might say, well, okay, Larry, I didn't know God had an agenda. Uh, maybe you should have mentioned this before now, right? Well, the good news is, is that God's agenda is pretty general. God's agenda is to see more love in the world. God's agenda is to see more authentic power in the world. God's agenda is beauty and joy and peace and harmony. God's agenda, if you will, is to experience more of those lovely qualities that we consider to be part of God. Now, this might cause some of us to puzzle for a moment. Well, okay, so I want success in my job. How does that equate to love or peace or harmony? Well, I, I do think this is an exercise worth doing. It's not your homework this week, but for those of you who like extra credit, here, here's, a, here, here's an assignment that you might think. What quality of God really is expressed in how you spend most of your time. So for those of us uh, in the working world, how would say something like a realtor? What is that? Well, a realtor, of course, is 100% around harmony and beauty. It's that ability to provide prospective buyers and sellers, right, with a, a new home, with a new environment where harmony and love and beauty can be expressed, right? And so I would say to that person, that is how you stay in alignment if you want God to really be supporting your efforts uh, to be a realtor, not necessarily to be praying about uh, high commissions, but rather to pray around really highlighting the, the love and the family feelings around a new home, right? It's that idea of matching up people to a place that they're going to create a, a, a joy, an environment of love and joy. So absolutely about spirit. One might say, well, okay, uh, so, you know, I'm just a dry cleaner. How, I mean, Larry, that doesn't seem all that, all that special. Or, and I'm like, 
cleanliness is next to godliness. Are you, are you kidding me? I mean, one of the, the high and holy aspects of God is order and, uh, and clarity. In fact, I'll double dog dare you all. When we, when we find time one-on-one, present me anything that you represent in the world, and I will tease out the spiritual quality in it. We are all doing spirit's work in the world. And when we focus on God's agenda in it, when we really see ourselves as bringing about more joy or more affluence, more, uh, m- uh, more peace or more love or whatever it is that our job can personify, when that is foremost in our mind, there is no stopping the support. You will see arising and propelling you forward into success. Because it is God absolutely doing God's work in the world through you. Now, sometimes we get a little sidetracked, right? Sometimes we get a little confused and we think that our success has to come at the expense of someone else. Uh, You know, that climbing the corporate ladder and knocking other people aside on the way. You know, sometimes we get a little confused that our good is in competition with other people's good. And when we do that, of course, we're muddying the water for spirit to actually support us. When, When we get murky around what some of our spiritual goals are, then that murkiness shows up as trouble and our success is lessened. And that's what she's getting at here. The idea of staying in alignment with God's broad agenda. When we do that, and when we have that trust in the universe that it's for us and never against us, then the only other thing that can stand in the way is us. So now I want to talk about defeat. And I think the best place to start is with a joke. So a physicist, an engineer, and a computer programmer were in a car driving over a steep alpine pass when their brakes suddenly failed. The car is going faster and faster. They're struggling just to get around corners. Once or twice, only the crash barrier saved them from plunging down the side of the mountain. They were sure they were all going to die. Suddenly, they spotted one of those runaway truck lanes. They pulled into the lane, up its ramp, safely came to a halt. The physicist said, We should model the friction in the brake pads and the resultant temperature rise. We'll see if we can work out why there was a failure. The engineer said, I think I've got some tools in the back. I'll take a look and see if I can work out mechanically why it failed. The programmer said, why don't we go back up to the top of the hill and see if the problem is reproducible. (laughs) I like that joke for three reasons. The three people, they all recognized that a failure is not the end. In fact, the failure is just the beginning. So often when we embark upon something new, so often when we decide we're going to take some steps in the direction of our true dream in life, where we really want to end up, those first few steps because they're out of our comfort zone, those first few steps because it's a little different, a little challenging, there's a part of us that so wants to be perfect right out of the box, right? There's that part of us that anything less than 100% of our our visioned goal is going to feel like what? It's going to feel like a failure. And that is where so many of us call it as an ending. 
It's the beginning. Let me illustrate. I want to see if you can guess. This is audience participation here in a minute. So, so know that I worked for the telephone company when it was U.S. West. Know that I was in the field of computer programming. I actually managed a, about a team of about 100 people doing program. And know that it's 20 years ago. Guess what programming I was working on? The year 2000 programming. It was 20 years ago. It was 1999, and we all thought in a few months the world was going to end, right? It was like the electricity was going to stop, and your phones wouldn't work anymore. And there were literally, at the telephone company, there were 10,000 programmers, mostly contract programmers, uh, a few thousand of us on staff, but there were 10 thousand programmers madly rewriting terrible old COBOL code, trying to get the extra two digits in there so that the, the, you know, the zombie apocalypse wouldn't, wouldn't actually happen. And it's almost to the day, too. I, I think actually it was in August, uh, late August, we did our first systems test. And by that, we basically brought all the systems down across a 14-state area, uh, except for essential telephone services itself, this, the switching material that would let the calls go through. We took down all of the systems, the payroll systems and the call accumulation systems and the, uh, you know, it's like you name it, the systems that would print your bills and the systems that knew where underground utilities were located. And there were more systems that I could even think about. We took them all down. We all put in our new code Every computer program across 14 states, the new version of it, and we turned it all up. Guess what happened? <laughs> oh, it was a total mess. <laughs> it was a total failure. Now, now, to be a little bit clever, the way they worked it, they had different teams examining each other's work. So, for instance, I had been working on, on some of the information that did call logs. Remember in your telephone bill, it, it would show all the calls you made in order and things like that. Well, they had someone else testing that to see how good I did, and they put me in charge of testing the payroll system. So the payroll system after on this weekend was very interesting because they, there must have been a couple places in the code where they had not expanded the field. And guess what the series of checks were coming out? People were getting back pay for up to 99 years. <laughs> The logic in it was, today is year zero, and she's been working here for 65 years and hasn't gotten her check yet. And so literally, some of the checks were for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And of course, I, I'm so, you know, full of self-confidence, right? I'm going, well, phew, they couldn't find anything that bad around ours, surely. And so a friend of mine is like, um, Larry, I just found out the folks in Omaha finished doing your testing, and did you forget that little AM, PM thing? <laughs> Somehow the code got overlaid from military time into a.m. p.m. time, and it didn't know what calls were made at night versus during the day anymore. Virtually every system, virtually every system was a failure. Guess what we did that night? Party. We threw a party. <laughs> 
We absolutely threw a party. And do you know why we threw a party? To celebrate the success of our systems trial. Our systems trial found all the mistakes in a safe and controlled environment so that we could go back. We still had three more, four more months to go. We found all the mistakes and we fixed them. You can see where I'm going with this, right? It wasn't a failure. It totally was not a failure. And when we think of our own lives and want to move out into new territory, we too might want to think about this idea of a systems test. Let's say maybe you're going to start dating again. Let's say maybe you find yourself single for whatever reason, and it's time. Well, in fact, a person was telling me the other day they were going to dive into the dating pool. And I swear to you, he said it like he was afraid he might drown, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so we talked a little bit about it, and I said, well, what's your plan? And he said, well, what do you mean, what's my plan? And I said, well, you're just going to call up some woman you barely know and hope for the best. And he goes, well, yeah, I guess that's what I was planning on doing. And I said, well, you know, you're kind of opening yourself up for something that might not feel so good. I mean, first of all, one cannot just make the assumption that someone that you barely know is, is, is going to be the kind of person you want to spend much time with, let alone a significant amount of time. I mean, dates sometimes don't go well. So what's your plan for that? And I could, I could just see it had never actually occurred to him that there might be a plan A, a plan B. There might be a way of looking at this so that it wouldn't seem like a success or a failure. So now, see, here's one of the key issues, I think. We tend to have this weird binary thinking. We tend to think that everything we do, everything we encounter, is either or. Either it's good or it's bad. Either it's a success or it's a failure. Either it's black or it's white. Either, uh, right? Either things are favorable or they're unfavorable. And I would like to suggest to you that that's total crap. There is a mixture of everything in everything. In everything you do, in everything you encounter, in everything that you represent, in fact, there are pieces of it that are good, and there are undoubtedly pieces of it that are less than optimal. And so maybe, maybe we don't even want to think in terms of some kind of overall success or failure, right? There's always room for improvement on the success side, and failures usually are a minor part of what we do that oftentimes we blow up out of perspective. So the first thing I want to suggest is that maybe, maybe we should banish the word failure from our vocabulary. Maybe we want to see it as a setback. Maybe we want to see it as a learning experience. Maybe we want to see it as, in fact, a necessary step towards our ultimate success. Because what I know for true is that we will tend to identify with what we do and how we show up. Now think about this for a moment. I don't know if this is true more in America uh, than other places in the world, but when someone asks you, well, hi, uh, who are you and what do you do? The, normally the first place we go is our profession. 
or, or what we do. Uh, in the old days, my mom would have said, well, I'm a homemaker, right? As though, as though sum, you know, summing up her entire existence is, is what she does for the bulk of her time. So I think there is the tendency for us to identify with our work as to who we are. If we're not pleased with our work, there's the danger that we're not pleased with ourselves. If we see that something we have done is a failure, it's easy to have those feelings of, I'm a failure. I'm not very good at this. I'm stupid. And remember, we're talking about our maiden voyages on things here, right? This month, we're talking about stepping out of our comfort zone and doing new things, taking radical steps towards a dream of the future, trotting a path we have not made before. Why would we ever think that we would be extraordinarily good at it right out of the get-go? You see, to begin with, we probably have unreasonable expectations as to how quickly we'll reach that goal. And number two, if we begin to identify, self-identify with some of the sidesteps and missteps and things that don't go well, right? Then we label ourselves as not being good enough or not smart enough. And that's what leads us usually to stopping. This is way too hard. When then the reality is no, it's just one step, and it's the next step. Oh, we made a sideways step. It's 1999. We made a sideways step on our systems test, right? No big deal. We learned some amazing information. Maybe we learned that that first uh, dive back into the dating pool, our expectations were a little too high. We made a friend instead of something more than a friend. We picked a place where people tend to hang out to drink large quantities of alcohol, and maybe that's not the best scenario for, for making romance in our lives, right? It's like we try things, we discover that maybe that wasn't the best. We learn from it. We congratulate ourselves for making the effort, hugely important. We congratulate ourselves for making the effort we showed up. We tried something new, good for us, and then we move on. So this idea of success or failure, I think right from the get-go, we're in troubled waters here. We're painting a picture of the world as though it's one or another, and it's almost always both. So instead of thinking of ourselves as, uh, as making mistakes, let us think of ourselves as in the learning mode. Would we be upset with a child learning to walk if the first time they pulled themselves up onto the... Have you watched it before? Uh, last time I observed it, the little girl pulled her... It was in the kitchen, and she pulled herself up uh, on using the, the countertop, and so she's like stuck there, you know, grabbing for her life on the edge of the counter. And you can tell she's wanting, <laughs> she's like, no, I don't want to just be looking at the side of the cabinets. I want to be with the people. And so she lets go with one hand and she starts to turn around. And of course, everyone in the room is, it's like the best movie ever. Do you know what I mean? We're on the edge of our seats, and one person is like, oh, no, she's going to, I'll help. And it's like, no, I shouldn't help her, right? Now, why would we not have the same level of kindness 
in understanding when we're trying something new. It's the same beginner's process. We're bound to fall down a few times. We're bound to have a little bit of a struggle. And so often my observation is, we will simply shut it down. This is not working out. I'm never dating again. I'm not going back to school. That first class, the professor in that first class was just a so-and-so. <laughs> this back-to-school thing is a washout, right? We throw in the towel when there's really no reason to. So I want to remind us again of what those three steps are of using the spiritual law of success. First, to be successful, trust that the universe is working for you. It is. God wants us to be successful because God enjoys being successful. The second piece is we stay in alignment with God's broad agenda. We begin viewing what we do and who we are as an extrapolation or on behalf of God's love, of God's joy, of God's peace, of God's happiness, abundance, wholeness. We view ourselves literally as an emissary of the divine working in our chosen field or, or how we show up, but, but highlighting that spiritual nature of it. Because when we do that, it is so very clear that God is there to support its own activities. And the resources you need, the help you need, the abundance you need, whatever is necessary for pulling that off will be present. And then finally, and perhaps most importantly, Kelly Robbins says, persistence is required. Those first steps may be halting. Those first baby steps, like the babies we all have known and loved, are going to take a tumble. I do have homework for you, and, and hopefully you'll enjoy this one. I did it this last week for myself, and I enjoyed it. So think of a project or goal where you personally experienced some failure. So think back in your life, some project that you worked on, something that you endeavored, something that was kind of important to you, maybe, where you felt that it failed. You felt that your endeavor failed. And then the homework assignment is to see if you can look at that differently. See if you can look at that failure as perhaps a means to your personal growth, can you look at that failure as something that set you up to be stronger or more powerful or more loving in the future? Can you begin viewing something that might be called a failure as something more positive in terms of a trial, in terms of, uh, of giving something a go, in terms of a systems test, if you will? So that's your homework. Find something in your life where you felt a bit of a failure at it and maybe see how in the long run it wasn't a failure at all. Well, I'm going to close today with a, a quote from the book and a prayer. She says, how would you live your life differently if you knew that you were guaranteed success? And if you knew without question that there was a limitless supply of everything you needed, that, that success was your birthright, this spiritual law of success asks you to more than just expect it. It asks that you demand success. Infinite resources are at your disposal. You always can know the right action to take. Success is absolutely yours when you deal with it 
with an attitude of absoluteness. The idea of a successful life will bring you success. It's up to you consciously to train yourself and conceive of yourself as a success. No one, no one can do it for you. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one creative force. I call it God. And what I know for sure is that it's working through us and as us always, even as A equals B, B equals C, and A equals C. I know that we are part of God and that God works through us in every day. And so, of course, God desires and provides for its own success. That means me. My life is filled with success. I have faith in it. I stay in alignment with the truth of love and life, of joy and abundance and peace. And as I do these things, I persist in my dream. I have a consistency with which I view my future life in that light of success. And as it is true for me, I know without question, it's true for everyone. Each of us has that ability to channel this spiritual law of success, to recognize success is for us because the universe is for us, to begin picturing ourselves as in alignment with doing God's work in the world and with all of the necessary resources provided to us easily and effortlessly. The very definition of success is at hand leading us on to the next step and the step after that and the next step. And for this, I give great thanks. I I recognize God truly in everything and give great gratitude for it. I release this prayer into the activity, into the action of the law itself. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you were here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. We also have many programs, classes, and workshops developed just for our online audience. To find out more, go to our website at cslportland.org and look under the Online tab. We have a variety of content dedicated specifically for our podcast listeners. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at cslportland.org donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended spiritual community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.